Good evening, my friends, and welcome back to 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens, that's me, where I'm your host for a creepy double feature every night throughout the month of October. Come join me, won't you? My friends, it is October 22nd, and tonight is Slasher Summer Camp Night on 62 Horror Movies. This should be fun. Our first movie of the night is Friday the 13th, released in 1980, written by Victor Miller and directed by Sean S. Cunningham. And our second feature of the night will be Sleepaway Camp. Uh, released in 1983, written and directed by Robert Hiltzik. I love both of these movies so much. So, I, as I have been on record for saying, I think the Phantasm series is the best horror movie franchise, in my own opinion. However, I think if I had to choose a favorite slasher horror movie franchise. I would not pick the Halloween movies. I would not pick the Nightmare on Elm Street films. I would pick the Friday the 13th series. Friday the 13th is the only one of the main, of the sort of big three slasher film series where I honestly deeply enjoy every single installment in this series. Um, they all maintain a consistent world and deliver what you expect, um, but also create new and fun variations on that theme. I love every Friday the 13th movie, honestly. But... I think I might be in a minority in that the very first film in the series, Friday the 13th, released in 1980, is actually my favorite installment in the series. I think it's it's a movie that is just so evocative of its premise. It feels authentic um, with the summer camp setting and the time of year and the cast of characters, and the kills, the terrific horror, blood, gore makeup by the brilliant Tom Savini. Um, I just think it's so terrific. And if you have seen other Friday the 13th movies featuring Jason Voorhees as the main killer with his hockey mask, uh, the original is a bit of a surprise. And... I'm going to be talking about spoilers a little bit for this one, but I just don't think there's a way to talk about this movie without talking about the reveal of who the killer is. And the killer in the original Friday the 13th is not Jason Voorhees. Um, Jason Voorhees does appear in this film, and the backstory that we get about Camp Crystal Lake begins in the prologue before the main credits in 1958, where there are two camp counselors who sneak off to have sex, and then they are killed by someone unknown, causing Camp Crystal Lake to be shut down for many, many years. And then, in 1980, 
Some foolish mortals are going to open up Camp Crystal Lake again. Uh, it's been abandoned for all these years, and they're fixing it up and getting ready for the children to come. And one by one, they are stalked by a killer who you do not actually find out who it is until the end of the film. Uh, but Jason Voorhees is actually seen in this movie as a little boy who drowned in Camp Crystal Lake, a boy who had some physical disabilities, uh, deformities of some sort. Um, but anyway, I'm getting a bit ahead of myself. So how did Friday the 13th come to be made in the first place? It really was made because John Carpenter's Halloween was such a phenomenal box office success. Made for very little money, it made a shit ton of money. And so producer Sean S. Cunningham, um, who had actually worked with horror director Wes Craven on his early film The Last House on the Left, wanted to cash in on the Halloween idea of a killer stalking and killing um, attractive-looking teenagers, especially after they have sexy time. Uh, and he thought uh, that Friday the 13th was a great title for a horror movie, you know, going with the theme of, you know, Halloween as a title. Um, Friday the 13th, that sort of unlucky day of superstition. So what Sean S. Cunningham did is he actually placed an a full-page ad in Variety magazine in 1979 uh, with the logo of Friday the 13th, the most terrifying film ever made. And this was before there was a script, before there was any idea of what this movie would even be about. Uh, he just wanted to create uh, sort of a copyright on that title of Friday the 13th, which worked. Um, and so Sean S. Cunningham got involved with the writer Victor Miller. Uh, and Victor Miller is the one who wrote this screenplay about... Uh, teenage camp counselors going back to Camp Crystal Lake, um, known to the locals as Camp Blood due to the murders and unfortunate accidents that had happened there previously. And uh, it even comes complete with its own town uh, lunatic uh, called Crazy Ralph, played by the wonderful actor Walt Gorney, who repeatedly warns the teenage camp counselors as they arrive, It's got a death curse. You'll never come back again. And of course he's right, because uh, they don't. Um, so... For the cast of Friday the 13th, they weren't necessarily looking for great actors. They were looking for actors that were young, were good-looking, um, who could read dialogue convincingly and looked like they could be camp counselors. So that's how they cast it. But fortunately, they ended up with some really great actors in this cast, um, a lot of whom had uh, experience acting in daytime soap operas, um, which is kind of funny because Victor Miller, who wrote Friday the 13th, actually ended up 
being a writer for daytime soap operas after this movie, including Guiding Light, One Life to Live, and All My Children, all of which sadly have been canceled. I'm a big, big fan of the the soap, the daytime soap opera as a genre, and I'm very sad that it has been dying for years, and I hope they continue. Um, but I digress. So they were lucky enough to get this cast, which actually includes a very young Kevin Bacon in one of his first major film roles, uh, just a couple of years before he really became a big star with Footloose. And by all accounts, everyone who's been interviewed about this movie since said that they just had a feeling that Kevin Bacon was going to be a big star. He was a good actor, uh, especially in these days. Let's be honest, he's very, very hot, of which this movie takes full advantage. Um, and there's also Adrienne King, who plays the main role of Alice, um, who is sort of the... Mm, spoilers, whatever. Uh, the... the first final girl of the Friday the 13th films. Uh, so the movie was actually filmed at a real uh, summer camp in New Jersey uh, called Camp Nobi Bosco, uh, located in Hardwick, New Jersey, which still exists. Um, all the filming locations that were used in Friday the 13th are still there, and it is still used as a summer camp to this day. And I think that really adds a lot to the authenticity of Friday the 13th. It really does feel real. And you really do like all of the characters, you know, even though in some cases you don't spend a lot of time with them, they all, to me, feel like real people, people you like, people that you're invested in, uh, and you see them having fun at the summer camp, getting it together as they are watched from the woods by a strange figure in gloves and hiking boots. Um, and before I talk about the killer in Friday the 13th, I want to talk a bit about another huge thing that made, that made the Friday the 13th movie so successful in a similar way that... John Carpenter's music for the Halloween movies contributed enormously to how scary they are. Uh, Harry Manfredini's musical score for Friday the 13th goes such a long way to making this movie even creepier than it has any right to be. And he was inspired for that main Friday the 13th theme, which... Everybody knows, even if you've never seen a Friday the 13th movie, you know Jason has the hockey mask and you know that main theme of like, ki, 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 ha, 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 uh, you know, during suspenseful scenes when the killer's lurking. Uh, but Harry Manfredini actually created that theme based on lines in the script. Um, uh, spoiler, but uh, the killer... In, late in this movie says the line, kill her, mommy, kill her. And Harry Manfredini took that line and took the, the sounds of that, kill her, mommy. Um, and he said into a microphone with reverb, ki, 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 ma, ma, ma. 
And that's how he created the iconic theme of Friday the 13th, um, actually is from the script. Um, the killer in the original Friday the 13th, as I've said, is not Jason Voorhees at all. It is his mother, Mrs. Voorhees, uh, Pamela Voorhees, who is played by the, uh, brilliant actor Betsy Palmer. Uh, Betsy Palmer was not the first choice to play Mrs. Voorhees. Um, the producer and director Sean S. Cunningham and writer Victor Miller originally offered the role to Estelle Parsons. Uh, Estelle Parsons won an Best Supporting Actress Oscar in 1967 for Bonnie and Clyde, uh, was for many years uh, president of the actor's studio. She might still be, actually. Uh, and it's probably known to most people for uh, playing uh, the grandmother Bev in Roseanne uh, and also in its uh, now spinoff, The Connors. Um, brilliant, brilliant actor. Uh, but Estelle Parsons turned it down because it was such a bloody movie. She didn't want to be involved in it. Uh, and so the movie was offered to Betsy Palmer, who was an actor studio actor herself, uh, who had a reputation for playing very uh, sort of wholesome roles. Um, literally the day that she was offered the role of Mrs. Voorhees in Friday the 13th, Betsy Palmer's car broke down and died. She needed a new car. And the salary that she was offered for playing Mrs. Voorhees in Friday the 13th was $10,000, which was the exact amount of money that she needed to buy a new car. So she decided to do the movie, even though she said, quote, that it was a piece of shit. Uh, she's come around since, and, re and she really did embrace her role as Mrs. Voorhees and the wonderful reaction to the fandom. And Betsy Palmer, being the method actor that she was, created this whole um, elaborate backstory for how Mrs. Voorhees got to the point of killing, um, and, which is fascinating. If you go to the Wikipedia page for Friday the 13th, you can read it. Um, and Victor Miller, who wrote this movie, really based uh, Mrs. Voorhees on a lot of personal stuff. He said that Mrs. Voorhees was the mother that he wished he had had, a mother who loved her son so much she would kill for him. Um, so that's a lot to unpack there. Uh, but um, yeah, she's great in this movie, uh, Betsy Palmer. If you want to learn more about the Friday the 13th film series as a whole. There is a truly incredible documentary called Crystal Lake Memories. It is six hours long, and it covers the entirety of the franchise, has interviews with every single person still alive at the time of the making of the documentary who is ever affiliated with the Friday the 13th movies in any way. And let me tell you, those six hours fly by. I highly recommend it. And I recommend checking out the other Friday the 13th movies uh, if you enjoy them. But the first one, I think, is my favorite. So watch Friday the 13th, my friends, and we'll come back for our second slasher summer camp feature of the night. Before we move on, I do want to say just one final thing about the very ending of Friday the 13th, because it was not in the original script. 
the original script ended with Alice, who has survived this night of horror at Camp Blood and decapitated Mrs. Voorhees, and she's uh, sitting peacefully on a rowboat in the middle of Camp Crystal Lake, her hands gently um, in the water, and then she sees the police arrive, and everything is okay. She's she's made it. She survived. And then all of a sudden, with a big sting of Harry Manfredini's music, uh, Jason, the child Jason, this deformed, decayed corpse boy, rises up out of Camp Crystal Lake and uh, then pulls Alice under. And then she wakes up in the hospital and... Everyone's like, there was no boy there. We don't know what you're talking about. That wasn't in the original script. It originally just ended with her in the rowboat all peaceful-like. Uh, and it's really because of Tom Savini, the brilliant makeup artist, uh, who came up with the idea for this shock twist ending. And it was 100%, and he says this, a rip-off of Carrie, directed by Brian De Palma, with that shock ending of Carrie, where it's that beautiful slow motion scene of Amy Irving, and then Carrie's hand comes out of the grave and grabs her um, with a huge sting of music. Totally ripped that off uh, for the end of Friday the 13th. And similarly, um, the ending of Sleepaway Camp is regarded, I think justly, as one of the great twist endings in slasher horror movie history. It's an ending that, when you first watch it, you don't see it coming, but the film actually really does, I think, a really great job of preparing you for it, um, if you're viewing it through that lens. And I think Sleepaway Camp is a fascinating movie and a very enjoyable movie for a lot of reasons, but I think it is actually quite daring for the time it was made, 1983, for having such overt queer themes and also transgender themes. Um, I, I am a queer person. I'm a cis gay man. I'm not uh, transgender. Uh, so I, I, I won't speak too much about the latter part of that because I don't feel it's my place to do so. Uh, but if you go online after watching Sleepaway Camp, there are some really great, insightful articles um, written by trans people about their reactions to this movie. Um, some of them are negative, but a lot of them are actually very positive in the narrative that they see. So I think that is a really worthwhile thing um, to seek out after you watch this movie. So Sleepaway Camp, of course, was very much inspired by Friday the 13th, taking that summer camp theme, released in 1983 and written and directed by Robert Hiltzik, uh, who attended summer camp as a child and had lots of vivid memories about it. And the summer camp that uh, the movie Sleepaway Camp was actually filmed at was the exact same summer camp that writer-director Robert Hiltzik had attended as a child. So, like the original Friday the 13th, I think Sleepaway Camp works so well in huge part because it feels authentic. It's kind of a lived-in world, a lived-in experience. Uh, one of the things that I think makes Sleepaway Camp pretty radical and different 
from many slasher movies, especially in relation to the Friday the 13th series, is that unlike the Friday the 13th movies, when you have teenagers that are clearly played by actors that are in their 20s or sometimes even in their 30s, it's obvious that they're sometimes easily 10 years older than the characters they're meant to be playing. Um, in Sleepaway Camp, the actors are actually the age of the characters they're playing. Sleepaway Camp is a movie that is populated by characters that are middle school age and high school age, but mostly middle school age. Like, these are pretty young kids. So it kind of gives you a taste of what Suspiria might have been like, like we talked about, where that was originally supposed to be with younger children, then they went with adults instead. Um, Sleepaway Camp's interesting because these are actually young children playing these roles, and... Uh, really gives you a kind of uh, Stand By Me, Stranger Things vibe because these these are actual kids. Um, some of them who some of them are murdered, some of them survive. Uh, lots of adults uh, are murdered as well. Uh, but I find it interesting that there's a lot I find interesting about Sleepaway Camp. Uh, one of those things is that. The queerness of Sleepaway Camp is apparent from the very beginning. You know, in the very beginning, we get a flashback to years before 1975 mm -hmm. when a man is on a boat with his male partner uh, and, one of, and one of them has two children named Angela and Peter and there's a tragic boating accident when everyone but Angela dies. And then Angela, the little girl, is taken in by her uh, crazy Aunt Martha, who uh, also has a child of her own named Ricky. And I, I have to give a shout-out to Desiree Gould as Aunt Martha in Sleepaway Camp. She's only in this movie for a couple minutes, but she is so memorable and just so weird and kind of off-putting. Uh, when I first watched Sleepaway Camp, I really thought that the actor playing Aunt Martha was a man in drag. Like, she's kind of like a drag queen, just very exaggerated and just so strange. Um, which really, I is another thing that sets Sleepaway Camp on this sort of interesting direction. But so, uh, Angela, uh, played by the great Felissa Rose, is uh, obviously traumatized by what happened with her father and her father's lover and her brother dying in this boating accident. Um, but Angela, along with her... Uh, cousin Ricky, and they are sent to summer camp. And I identify a lot with Angela because Angela is just this very quiet, shy young child who is not about all these group activities and all these sort of politics going on in in the dormitories. Um, she's just not a she's just not here for this whole scene. And I thankfully was never forced to go to uh, summer camp, um, but if I had, I would have been Angela. Um, and Felissa Rose does such a great job portraying her in a role where she's almost completely mute. 
for a great portion of this movie. I think it's at, it's at least a half hour into the movie before she even says a word. Um, and she's just a character that you really root for and identify with. And as these terrible things start to happen, uh, you really hope that she makes it out alive. Um, and the... Uh, Another interesting thing about Sleepaway Camp is that a lot of the murders that happen, um, they're done in really gruesome uh, ways and, and filmed in really effective ways. Uh, but a lot of the murders are people who deserve it. Like there is the, the main cook at the summer camp who is clearly a pedophile, clearly trying to fuck these, like early adolescent in some cases prepubescent girls and so when he gets you know a huge um pot of boiling water poured over him melting all his skin away and blinding him he he deserves it you don't really feel bad for him uh and there's a really sort of the the stereotypical mean girl who uh is just horrible to everyone um, who meets a particularly horrific uh, death with a curling iron uh, inserted into her vagina. Uh, and there's a death by bees. And I, I'm really scared of bees. Um, so that was effective to me. Um, so there's all that stuff. Uh, but I think another thing that makes Sleepaway Camp really interesting is that I think because of its of its queer lens, in a way, it doesn't g go into the usual 80s slasher horror movie trope of, let's just say it, objectifying women. Um, one of the things about 80s slasher movies, one of the reasons why they were so successful at the box office is because Guys knew that if they saw one of these slasher movies, no matter what one it was, they knew they were going to see some tits. Um, but you don't see that in Sleepaway Camp. In Sleepaway Camp, it's actually the male characters who are kind of objectified by the camera. You know, the, the male characters in this movie are all in these, like, very 80s, but, like, ludicrously tight, tight, tight short shorts, um, and, like, cut-off tops, um, so I think that's really interesting as well, uh, and the ending of Sleepaway Camp is justly famous, and I don't want to say too much about it, in case you haven't seen it, but I do think it is enormously effective, and, in a way, I think deeply rewarding and almost triumphant in a way. Um, I do think there is an element of it being problematic with the identity of the killer and who the killer is that such a person is, you know, the murderer of all these people. Uh, and again, I point you to reading articles by by folks who, you know, 
have this lived-in experience that I do not have. Um, listen to their voices rather than mine. But I do think, looking at Sleepaway Camp as a whole, there is a rather compelling argument to be made of this movie being kind of revolutionary for its time. I think it is absolutely worth watching, and you can watch it, as you should, uh, with hosted by Joe Bob Briggs on Shudder, uh, in the last drive-in, and uh, in that broadcast, Joe Bob Briggs actually has Felissa Rose, who plays the main character of Angela, on as a guest, and she's great, and uh, you learn lots more about this movie than I've been able to say in just, you know, this short amount of time. So, watch Sleepaway Camp, my friends, and we'll come back and we'll close out our night. My friends, thank you for joining me once again for 62 Horror Movies with Josh Hitchens. That's me. Tomorrow night, we are going to have a childhood fright night. We're going to start off with The Watcher in the Woods, released in 1980 by Disney. The horror movie they made, they try really hard to forget they ever made. And then we're going to talk about one of the best children's horror series of all time, Are You Afraid of the Dark? Until then, my friends, Happy Halloween!